Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone. My name is Dave, and today I will tell you how I managed to become immortal. Yeah, you heard that right. I will never die. It all started when I was about four years old. At that time, Polly, our dog, died, and I decided to ask my grandma what happened to Polly. And what happens to us after death? Grandma said that when we die, we turn into ants. Little black ants that we see on the ground under our feet. Can you imagine? This piece of news made an indelible impression on my fragile childish mind. I had severe shock. Here I was, a child who plays with toys, watches cartoons, makes crafts in kindergarten, spends time on the playground, and loves ice cream. And then, after I die, I'll become a tiny ant that will build a home for its friends during half of its life. But at any time, I will be smashed by humans or eaten by other insects. This was terrible. I realized that this was definitely not the fate that I wanted. Well, as I continued growing up, every day I thought about how, after death, I would turn into an ant and be doomed to struggle and suffer. And as I continued to grow, I became more afraid of death than anything else. I also became very interested in ants their life expectancy, and their everyday activities. In short, I was trying to prepare for my reincarnation in every possible way. As I got older, and my brain absorbed more and more information, I realized that it wasn't necessary to die at all. In cartoons, I watched stories about immortal heroes, and in books, I would read about magic tablets that could give you eternal life, and that was really interesting. But at the same time, I was seriously puzzled. I tried thinking about where I could find a magic potion that would help me defy the laws of the universe and become immortal. I began to study all about immortality and eternal life, but for some reason, everything I could find was written like fantasy. But I knew that it had to be real and that I needed to find the facts. It seemed to me that those who knew the secret of immortality were intentionally hiding what they knew. And I mean, I get it. Some people have to die or else the world would be way too crowded, as new people are born every day. But couldn't it be someone else? I mean, I was terribly afraid of death, and I dreaded the transmigration of my soul into the body of an ant. When I was ten years old, I found information about Indian sorcerers and magicians. There were many positive reviews about their superpowers and about the miracles that they could perform. 
One person had even written a review saying that the sorcerer had made him immortal. This was exactly what I needed. But how would I get to India? My parents were against tourism, and they traveled only within our own country. But then I had an idea. My mom had recently become fond of yoga, and on top of that, she began to practice meditation. So I decided to convince my mom to go on a rare trip outside of our country, to practice yoga where it all began. But how was I going to organize this? I racked my brains for weeks thinking of how I could convince my mom to not only go on a yoga tour to India, but to also take me with her. For the next few months, I constantly planted brochures around her and subscribed her to email lists about yoga and vacations to India. At first, nothing I was doing seemed to be working, but then my mom suddenly told my dad and me that she was leaving for India for 21 days to take part in a yoga tour. I was so shocked that I cried out, and how about me? My parents looked at me in surprise and asked what I was talking about. Then I had to immediately come up with reasons for why I should go on the trip with my mom. I told them that I had been fond of yoga for a long time and that it would be interesting and exciting to go on this tour with her. This news really threw my parents off. To just about anyone, yoga and I would seem completely incompatible. But even so, somehow my parents decided to support my interests and give me a chance. So they bought me a second ticket. I was so glad that my efforts were not in vain, and in about a week, I was going to fly to India. India welcomed us warmly and cheerfully. I would never have thought that this country would be so hospitable. Everything was just great, except that I had to do yoga and meditate together with the tour group. But it was totally worth it knowing that I would soon be able to tend to the real purpose of my visit. Now, I needed to find a sorcerer who would solve my problem, as well as the way to sneak off and find him. I don't even know which was more difficult but I knew I had to get the timing just right because there wouldn't be any second chances. You know, it's difficult to find something specific in a foreign country without knowing the local language. At one point, I even thought about giving up, but then I met Pax. He was a guy about my age who had lived there half his life and considered himself a local. When we met and I told him about the purpose of my visit to India, he started laughing and called me a scumbag, but strangely, he still agreed to help me find what I was looking for. And as it turned out, meeting Pax was a stroke of good fortune. My mom really liked this guy almost immediately, and before long, she was ready to let me go anywhere with him without any problems. It was just perfect. All I had to do was wait for my new friend to find the sorcerer. After a couple of days, Pax came to me with good news. That evening in a nearby village, a shaman was going to be there for just one night to do his rituals. Within ten minutes, I was ready to go, and we were out the door. When we arrived in the village, the night was already dark and I felt a bit frightened. There were some weird people and strange sounds, and their noises made this new, dark place feel even stranger for me. It was good that Pax was next to me. Next to him, at least I didn't feel like the village idiot. Soon a sorcerer appeared, together with his assistants. He sat in the center of a drawn circle and people started coming up to him and asking different questions. He touched some of them with his hand and sprayed some of them with the water from his bowl. Others he would speak with quietly and they would leave shortly after. Finally, it was my turn and together with Pax, I approached the sorcerer. My knees were shaking and my head got so cloudy that for a second, I even forgot why I had come in the first place. Then I heard voices as if from a trumpet and I could not understand a word. Then Pax hit me hard on the shoulder and told me to pull myself together. He told me to tell the shaman about my problem and he would translate my words. Then I said that I wanted to be immortal. The sorcerer grinned and asked why I needed that, so I told him my whole story from the very beginning. 
When I finished my story, the sorcerer waved at his assistants and they left. A few minutes later, they returned and told me to sit on the board that they had brought. I was suddenly nervous and asked Pax what it was and what they were up to. He replied that I should do what they asked. I don't know how I did it, but I mustered the courage and climbed onto the board, and the guy started carrying me away. Where do you think they brought me? They took me to a huge pit, next to which was a shovel. Then I got hysterical. I started screaming and crying, just like a little boy, asking to let me go to my mom. Soon the sorcerer came up to me, together with Pax. He told me to calm down and said that within this pit was the path to my immortality. It took me some time to collect myself, and even longer to believe in him. But eventually, I accepted the fact that I would have to go down into the pit in order to get what I came for. And do you think that I just climbed in there and then got out? Hell no. The sorcerer's assistants put me in a casket that looked like a coffin, closed the lid, and lowered it into the pit. Then they covered it with soil. Any sane person would have done everything they could have to escape from the coffin and get as far away as possible. But knowing that this was what I needed to become immortal, I was ready to withstand it all. As the casket was lowered down, I silently cried to myself and asked the universe to let this be over as quickly as possible. Then everything went quiet around me, and after about 30 minutes, I was exhausted emotionally and I felt as if I was squeezed like a lemon. I had no energy left even to be afraid. I was just lying there and thinking, come what may. And it was at that moment that they started digging me up and lifting me out of the pit. Of course, after all of that suffering, I wanted the sorcerer to confirm that I had become immortal. Instead, he wouldn't talk to me and told me to come back the next day. So I did what he asked. The next day I went to the same village with Pax, my friend and interpreter. The sorcerer joyfully welcomed me and asked if I still wanted to live forever. I answered that I did. Then the old shaman explained to me that the day before I actually had become immortal. He told me to remember what I was feeling while I was lying in the casket. Then he told me that the detachment that I felt at the very end would remain with me forever when I merge with the universe. In the evening, I thought a lot about his words and listened to my inner voice and realized that I actually understood the meaning of immortality. And from that moment on, my life began to play out in fresh colors. I stopped living in constant fear and preparing for my demise. For the first time in my life, I decided to just live and enjoy every day. The rest of the tour was just great. I hung out with Pax every day on the beach and played volleyball. He also taught me how to do chaturanga and play chow par. I felt sad that there was so little time left, but I hope to return there next year. Hey there, I'm Jake, just your average 15-year-old boy. Except for one thing, I've been in love with the same girl since kindergarten. Yeah, that long. Her name's Lily. She's got these sparkling blue eyes that remind me of the ocean, and a laugh that could make even the grumpiest person smile. That's right, Uncle Scrooge. Put a smile on that face. But enough about her. Let's get to the real story. One day, Lily's dad just up and left. No note, no goodbye, nothing. Just Lily, her two younger sisters, and an empty house. Lily was devastated, but she put on a brave face for her sisters. She was only 15, but overnight, she became a mom, a dad, everything. One day, she came to me, tears streaming down her face. Jake, I need your help. And of course, I said yes. 
I mean, who could say no to those ocean blue eyes? Ugh. So there I was, a 15-year-old boy trying to be a dad. It was like playing house, but for real. I'd go to school during the day, then head over to Lily's to help with homework, cook dinner, and tuck the girls into bed. It was exhausting, but every time I saw Lily's grateful smile, it was worth it. We had our share of disasters, like the time I tried to make spaghetti and ended up turning the kitchen into a war zone. Or the time Lily's youngest sister, Bella, decided to give the dog a haircut. But we also had our moments of triumph, like when we managed to fix the leaky faucet all by ourselves, or when Bella finally learned to tie her shoelaces. But just when I thought we had everything under control, my parents found out. They were furious. You can't be playing house with Lily and her sisters, my mom said. But I wasn't playing. This was real life, and I was determined to help Lily, no matter what. So that's the crazy start of my journey, but trust me, it gets even crazier. So make sure you're subscribed and have notifications turned on, because you won't want to miss what happens next. Alright, where were we? Ah yes, my parents had just found out about my double life. They were furious, but I was determined to help Lily and her sisters. So I did what any reasonable 15-year-old would do. I argued with my parents. You don't understand, Mom! Lily needs me! I said, my voice echoing in our living room. Jake, you're just a kid. You can't be responsible for an entire family, my mom replied, her voice filled with concern. But I wasn't backing down. I may be a kid, but I can help. I have to help, I said, my voice firm. After what felt like hours of arguing, my parents finally agreed to let me continue helping Lily. But under one condition, I had to keep up with my schoolwork. So my double life continued. School during the day, playing dad in the evening, it was exhausting. But every time I saw Lily smile, it was so worth it. One day, while I was helping Lily's middle sister Emma with her math homework, Lily pulled me aside. Jake, I, I don't know how to thank you, she said, her ocean blue eyes welling up with tears. Lily, you don't have to thank me. I'm just doing what any friend would do, I replied, my heart pounding in my chest. But before I could say anything else, Lily did something I never expected. She kissed me. It was a brief, sweet kiss, but it was enough to make my heart race. Jake, I... She began, but was interrupted by Bella's loud cry. Jake, Emma's eating crayons! Bella wailed, pulling us back to reality. And just like that, our moment was over. But something had changed. Lily had kissed me. So there I was, juggling school, my double life, and now my feelings for Lily. It was like I was in a circus, juggling flaming torches. But hey, at least it wasn't boring. One day, while I was at school, I received a call from Lily. Jake, I need your help. The landlord is here and he's threatening to kick us out, she said, her voice trembling. I rushed over to Lily's house, my heart pounding in my chest. The landlord was a gruff man with a belly that shook like a bowl full of jelly. You're months behind on rent. If you don't pay up by the end of the week, you're out, he bellowed, his voice echoing in the small apartment. I could say something about the tension in the air being palpable, but that one guy might comment something. So I'll just say the tension was high. Lily, don't worry. I'll figure something out, I said, trying to sound more confident than I felt. And figure something out I did. I took up a part-time job at a local diner, working late into the night. It was exhausting, but every time I handed my paycheck over to Lily, again, it was so worth it to see those eyes. But just when I thought things were starting to look up, I received a call from my school. Jake, your grades are slipping. If you don't improve, you might have to repeat the year, my teacher said, her voice stern. I was at a crossroads. I could either focus on school and risk Lily and her sisters getting evicted, or I could continue working and risk failing the year. It was like I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. 
But before I could make a decision, Lily pulled me aside. Jake, I can't let you do this. You're sacrificing your future for us. She said, her eyes filled with tears. Lily, I can't just stand by and do nothing. I replied, my voice firm. Jake, there has to be another way. She said, her voice barely a whisper. And just like that, we were back to square one. I was way over my head in this situation. I'd lost hope until overhearing about this local talent competition. The prize? A scholarship grant that could cover Lily's rent for a year. I knew what I had to do. I signed up for the competition, deciding to showcase my hidden talent, playing the guitar. I had been strumming tunes in my spare time, a hobby I picked up to distress from all the responsibilities. The days leading up to the competition were a whirlwind. I was practicing day and night, my fingers dancing on the strings. I was determined to win, not for me, but for Lily and her sisters. On the day of the competition, I was a bundle of nerves. The stage was huge, the lights blinding. But when I saw Lily and her sisters in the audience, their faces full of hope, I knew I couldn't back down. And now, please welcome to the stage, Jake! The announcer's voice boomed. I walked onto the stage, so nervous. I took a deep breath and just started playing. The melody filled the room, my fingers moving effortlessly on the strings. The audience was silent, their eyes glued to me. And then, just as I was about to finish my act, disaster struck. A string on my guitar snapped. I watched in horror as it flew into the audience. But before I could apologize, the audience erupted in applause. Bravo! A woman shouted from the crowd. That was the most heartfelt performance of the night! I stood there, stunned, as the cheers washed over me. I had done it! I'd won the competition! But just when I thought things couldn't get any better, the woman who had shouted bravo came up to me. Son, that was a fantastic performance! I run a music school and I think you'd make a great teacher. It's a part-time job. Would you be interested? She asked, a hopeful look in her eyes. And just like that, I'd not only solved our money problem, but I'd also found a way to juggle school and work. Life was going well, until one day, the secret was out. It started with whispers at school, then pointed fingers. And before we knew it, our story was talk of the town. And then the unthinkable happened. Child Protective Services showed up at our front door. We've received a report about your living situation. We need to conduct an investigation, the officer said. I felt like the ground was slipping under my feet. We were about to lose everything, but I wasn't going down without a fight. I decided to go on a live broadcast to tell our story to the world. I was nervous, my hands shaking as I faced the camera. But when I thought about Lily and her sisters, I knew I had to be strong. Good evening, everyone. I began, my voice echoing in the silent studio. My name is Jake, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story about family, about love, and about the lengths we go to to protect the ones we care about. I paused, looking directly into the camera. It's also a story about sacrifice, about stepping up and taking responsibilities that were never meant to be yours, but to accept them anyway because you care. Because you can't stand by and do nothing when the people you love are in trouble. I could feel the intensity of the silent studio, the crew members hanging on to each and every word I'd spoke. At the tender age of 15, I found myself in a role that I was hardly prepared for. I became a father figure to three girls who had been abandoned by their own. I was just a kid myself, but I knew I had to protect them, provide for them. My voice grew stronger, more confident as I continued. We faced challenges. How oh, did we face them? From figuring out how to pay the bills, to dealing with the judgmental whispers at school, to the sleepless nights worrying about what the next day would bring. But through it all, we stuck together. We became our own little family, found not by blood, 
by our shared experiences, by resilience, by love. Tonight I stand before you not as a victim, but as a testament to the power of perseverance, of community, and of unconditional love. Our story is proof that family isn't always about DNA. Sometimes it's about finding the people who accept you, who stand by you, and who fight for you, no matter what. So here's to all the unconventional families out there. To the people who step up when others step down. To the heroes who are born out of necessity. This is for you. The response was overwhelming. Messages of support poured in. A GoFundMe page was set up to help us. The community rallied around us. Their kindness and generosity bringing tears to our eyes. But just when I thought things couldn't get any more dramatic, Lily's dad showed up. He had seen the broadcast and decided to come back. What are you doing here? I asked, my voice shaking with anger. I, uh, I came to take my, my daughters back, he stammered, looking around nervously. You lost that right when you abandoned them! I shot back. The crowd that had gathered around us erupted in agreement. They shamed him, told him he had no right to come back after abandoning his family. He left, and this time, I knew he wouldn't be back. In the end, we were allowed to stay together. An elderly woman from our neighborhood, Mrs. Jenkins, offered to legally adopt the girls, so the authorities would leave us alone. We were more than happy to accept. And so, our story concludes, not with a sad ending, but with a new beginning. A beginning filled with hope, love, and a community that turned into a family. My name is Alexei, and I come from a family of Russian oligarchs. Wealth has always been a part of my life, but I never really felt like I belonged in that world. I remember the time my father offered me a pet tiger for my birthday. Even then, I knew it wasn't for me. So, I decided to leave that life behind and go undercover, blending into society as a poor man. I found a modest apartment in the city and landed a job at a company that, unbeknownst to everyone, was actually owned by my family. I kept my true identity shrouded in secrecy, a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. I worked under David, my boss, who constantly disrespected me. Every slight he threw my way only fueled my determination to keep my secret, biding my time for the perfect moment to reveal the truth. Little did he know who he was truly dealing with or the sheer magnitude of the surprise that awaited him. One day, David decided to berate me in front of everyone. Alexei, your incompetence never ceases to amaze me. Do you have any idea how much your mistakes cost this company? I rolled my eyes deciding to clap back with some wit. You know, David, they say great leaders inspire greatness in others, but all you seem to inspire is a headache. David's face turned red with anger. You insolent little, watch your tongue, or you'll be out of a job before you can say unemployment. I smirked, feeling the suspense build up. Well, if I'm so terrible at my job, David, why don't you tell me exactly how to improve? Or is it that you're too busy driving that shiny Lambo of yours to bother with us lowly employees? He clenched his jaw, struggling to find a retort. You! You just wait! Alexei! One of these days you'll learn the hard way that you can't talk to your superior like that! Oh, I can't wait for that day, David. I replied with a grin, fully aware of the dramatic irony in our conversation. Little did he know that the power dynamic would soon shift in my favor. David's face turned red, but before he could respond, Natasha walked into the room. As Natasha, a breathtaking woman exuding sophistication, sauntered into the office, her presence was like a magnet, instantly grabbing my attention. 
I found myself captivated by her beauty, yet I couldn't shake the underlying feeling of arrogance and materialism that clung to her aura. It was a dangerous combination, but the enigma that surrounded her had me hopelessly intrigued, ensnaring me in a web of suspense and attraction. As she walked by my desk, I gathered my courage and decided to strike up a conversation. Excuse me, I said, trying to sound as suave as possible. I don't think we've met before. I'm Alexi. She arched an eyebrow and looked me up and down, her gaze assessing me like a priceless artifact. Natasha, she replied with a cool, detached tone. So, Alexi, what brings you to this mundane world of nine-to-fine drudgery? I grinned, embracing the challenge her question presented. Ah, well, Natasha, sometimes you have to experience the ordinary to truly appreciate the extraordinary, don't you think? She smirked, clearly intrigued by my response. Interesting perspective. You're not like the others here, are you? Alexi. I leaned in, lowering my voice to a conspirational whisper. Maybe I'm not, Natasha, but that's for you to discover, isn't it? As our conversation continued, the electricity between us was palpable, making the air around us crackle with anticipation. The meeting of our two worlds promised an adventure neither of us could have ever imagined. Over the next few months, Natasha and I grew closer and I slowly fell in love with her, despite her materialistic tendencies. One day, I decided to take a leap of faith and propose to her with my grandmother's ring, an exquisite piece worth millions of dollars. As I got down on one knee, I presented the ring to Natasha, whose eyes widened in disbelief. Alexi, is this some kind of joke? She scoffed, inspecting the ring with a look of disgust. This looks so cheap. How could you think I'd accept such a pathetic proposal? I was taken aback by her reaction, my heart sinking with disappointment. I tried to speak up, but she cut me off. You're nothing, Alexi. You can't give me the life I deserve. And now that I think about it, I'm leaving you. For David, the words hit me like a ton of bricks. David, my arrogant, condescending boss. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But before I could process the situation, Natasha tossed the precious ring away. A cruel dismissal of our love. Crushed and betrayed, I knew it was time to return to my true identity and give Natasha the taste of the high life she so desperately craved. I sought solace in my family's luxurious yacht, moored in the city's marina. The next day, as I was leaving the yacht with a group of influential business people, I spotted Natasha and David approaching in his Lamborghini. The sight of me surrounded by wealth and power instantly piqued Natasha's interest, and she rushed over, interrupting our conversation. Alexei, I had no idea you were, well, who you really are, she stammered, her eyes wide with shock and regret. I was so wrong about you. Could you ever forgive me? I smirked, feeling the suspense of the moment. Oh, I'll take you back, Natasha but be prepared for the wildest ride of your life. And so began my plan to teach Natasha a lesson about valuing people for who they are, not their wealth. Little did she know the roller coaster of emotions and experiences that awaited her. Every single day, I planned a new, over-the-top event, immersing her in the madness of wealth and excess. Our first stop was a lavish gala held in a beautiful mansion, the event dripping with opulence. 
As we walked around through the grand entrance, Natasha's eyes sparkled, taking in the breathtaking surroundings. I never knew such a world existed, Alexei, she admitted, awestruck. I smirked, already sensing her discomfort. Oh, Natasha, this is only the beginning, I teased, leading her to the dance floor where we waltzed the night away. As the days went by, the extravagance only increased. From exclusive fashion shows to attending private concerts with world-famous musicians, I was determined to push Natasha to her limits. She began to struggle with the constant onslaught of luxurious experiences, the superficiality of it all becoming more evident. With every passing day, the pressure mounted. Natasha's eyes widened as she attended yet another opulent event or boarded another private jet. Alexei, I feel so out of place here, she whispered, her voice wavering. I leaned in, my voice low and deliberate. But, Natasha, isn't this the life you always wanted? Surrounded by wealth and luxury, day by day, I could see her growing more and more exhausted with the constant whirlwind of extravagance. The constant barrage of luxury was taking its toll on her, pushing her to the breaking point. Finally, one night as we stood on the deck of my family's yacht, I could see that Natasha had reached her limit. The once alluring world of the ultra-rich had become a suffocating, hollow existence, and she could no longer bear it. As her eyes filled with tears, I revealed the truth about the ring she had so carelessly discarded. That ring, Natasha, was worth millions. Your inability to see its true value only proves how blinded you were by wealth and status. Natasha's voice trembled as she spoke. I'm so sorry, Alexei. I didn't know. I didn't understand. I sighed, the suspense hanging heavy in the air, knowing that the time had come to confront her. Natasha, do you realize why I did all of this? I asked, my voice laced with emotion. She looked at me, her eyes filled with confusion. What do you mean, Alexei? I took a deep breath, ready to reveal the truth. I wanted to teach you the importance of valuing people for who they are, not their wealth. All the luxuries, the extravagance, it was all a lesson. A tense silence settled between us as the reality of my words sank in. Slowly, Natasha began to understand the lesson I had been trying to teach her. Finally saw the superficiality of the ultra-wealthy lifestyle and how it had distorted her priorities. Tears welled up in her eyes as she reached for my hand. Alexei. I... I never realized how wrong I was. I can't believe you went through all of this just to teach me a lesson. I nodded, my eyes locked on hers. I did it because I love you, Natasha, and I believe you can change. As Natasha's perspective shifted over time, she began to appreciate the simpler things in life, cherishing the love and personal growth that came with it. Together, we realized that wealth and status were not the keys to happiness and we decided to leave that world behind. But life had other plans. Enter Anastasia, the daughter of another wealthy family, who was determined to win my heart. She constantly tried to impress me with her lavish lifestyle and endless resources, attempting to lure me back into the world I had left behind. The tension between Natasha and Anastasia grew as they both competed for my affection. One evening, at a charity event, the rivalry between them reached its climax. Anastasia approached me, her eyes glittering with determination. Alexei, you belong in our world, not with someone like Natasha. 
She'll never understand you like I do. I raised an eyebrow, intrigued by her audacity. Really, Anastasia, and what makes you think you understand me so well? But before I could get a response, Natasha stepped forward, her face a mix of anger and hurt. Alexei doesn't need your world, Anastasia. He's seen the emptiness it brings, and so have I. Anastasia scoffed, her eyes narrowing. You're just afraid of losing him, Natasha. But you can't compete with me. I can give him everything you can't. Natasha stood her ground, her eyes locked on Anastasia. It's not about what you can give him. It's about who you are. Alexei isn't swayed by material things anymore. The air was thick with suspense as I looked between the two women, knowing I had to make a choice. I took Natasha's hand, facing Anastasia with a resolute expression. Anastasia, your world has nothing to offer me. Natasha and I have found happiness in each other, not in material possessions. Anastasia's face fell, and she stormed off, leaving us alone. Natasha looked up at me, her eyes filled with gratitude and love. Thank you, Alexei. I'm so glad we've learned the true value of life together. As the weeks went by, Natasha and I continued to grow closer, embracing our new life together. One day, while we were packing our belongings to move to a more modest home, Natasha stumbled upon something that took her breath away, the ring she had once thrown away in a fit of arrogance and misunderstanding. Her eyes welled with tears as she picked up the exquisite piece, now understanding its true value. Alexei, she whispered, her voice filled with emotion. I found the ring, the one you proposed with. I can't believe it's been here all along. I walked over, a tender smile on my face, and took the ring from her trembling hand. It's never too late, Natasha, I said softly, taking her hand in mine. Will you marry me? Not for the wealth or the status, but for the love we found together. Natasha nodded, tears streaming down her cheeks. Yes, Alexei, yes, I will. I gently slid the ring onto her finger, and we embraced, our hearts overflowing with love and gratitude. Together, we faced our future with renewed determination, ready to leave behind the world of wealth and embrace the true, authentic life that awaited us. Hand in hand, we walked away from our past, ready to embark on a new journey. Our story, full of suspense and twists, came to a close with a powerful message about the importance of humility, love, and personal growth. Lessons we would carry with us for the rest of our lives. My name's Pete, and I grew up in a rickety shack in the middle of a rich suburb. Dad had been offered multiple times by the rich newcomers to buy his land, but he never sold, despite the high offers. He was waiting for the price to skyrocket. You know, son, in matters of investment, you gotta hold. If you hold long enough, the thing you hold on to increases in value exponentially. Dad saved every penny that he could spare. For the rainy day, he always used to say. He was a regimented man. He did everything by the book. Everything had to be in its place. He always drilled into me how I needed to divide my life into segments and achieve specific goals. School, job, dating, marriage, children. And out of all those, he emphasized the importance of a stable 9-to-5. You mustn't aim higher or you'll only fail. The rich will stay rich, and us poor folk need to keep our heads down.
For all his steadfastness, what he forgot is that the house's value could also go to the complete opposite way. Thanks to an ingenious scheme that our rich neighbors came up with, our plot of land became wetter and wetter every year. The first house to do it were the Manderleys. They were a bunch of snobs who came down from the city when they heard our school district was the best in the country. Mummy, who are those poor people living next to our mansion? Shoo! Son, don't look at them! Poverty is contagious! Ugh. They made a canal where their sink water was dumped into, and it all flowed into our plot. Of course they kept it a secret, and nobody found out until it was too late. The rich guys got fined by the city. But it was too late. Our plot of land became a swamp, and its value was deemed worthless. Dad held on for nothing. I guess that was what broke his spirit. He and Mom just gave up and just lived on a day-to-day -day basis. They no longer dreamed of a better future. To further humiliate him, our rich neighbors held a charity drive for my dad and us. And during the embarrassing ceremony, the Manderleys made an exaggerated show by offering Dad a job at their agency as a clown for a kid's party. And he took it. He had no other choice. Every household in that suburb hired him. And it hurt to see people laughing. Not because they found him funny, but because he did whatever it took for spare change. And still, he didn't sell the house. So, my whole life, I had to live in a swamp. My classmates called me an ogre because of it. I heard the Manderley kids started the nickname. Every time I passed by, they would plug their noses or pinch them closed and tell me I stunk of swamp. It was one of the most embarrassing moments in my life when I finally got to sit beside my longtime crush in chemistry, and she fainted after she held her breath because she believed the rumor that I smelled bad. I did get to talk to Opal after I took her to the infirmary, and she realized the rumors weren't true. Opal was an outcast, just like me, and so we bonded straight away. We laughed it off and we became friends, so it wasn't all bad. Unfortunately, the entire school only heard about the part where a girl fainted because of my smell. That made me the laughingstock for quite a while. I was called Stinky Petey, and for three whole years, I had battled that nickname. In senior year, I almost won, and some people started calling me Pete again. Until some nosy first year asked someone on the basketball team why there was a graffiti of my nickname in the locker room. Then the joke got told over and over again. Luckily, I had Opal. She never stopped defending me. She grew more beautiful as time passed, and she got rid of her braces. Suddenly, she was popular. Some people even called her the Queen Bee, but she refused the title because she thought it was vain. When a guy from the football team tried to ask her out, she grabbed my hand and pulled me into a surprising kiss in front of everyone. I melted. I felt sparks. Obviously, I dreamed of escaping that life. And it got so frustrating that I couldn't do anything because I was poor. So, I condensed all that frustration and all those impossible dreams, and I poured them into something I was good at. I loved to draw. And I loved to tell stories. So, whenever I felt down in the dumps, or whenever I wanted to scream, I drew. And I wrote stories. I would make little comic strips about my day or how terrible high school was. And when Opal and I got to hang out, 
She would beg me over and over until I finally relented and showed her the comics for that week. She would laugh at all of them, and she would feel bad for the main character when the story was a sad one. Either way, the afternoon would end with her wiping tears from her eyes as she begged me for more. You know you have to publish these, right? <laughs> Don't be silly. I'm serious. These are really good. You're just saying that because you're my friend. So you're saying I have no taste? Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. Opal would nag me a lot. But she was always there for me. And she always wanted to see me succeed. She was the only light in my dark life. Not even my parents believed I could achieve anything. One day, as I was walking through the quad, I noticed people laughing and pointing at me. More than usual. And they were looking at their phones. I rifled through the school's group chat, and there they were. My creations. For everyone to see. And laugh at. Opal had betrayed me. They were all laughing. And not because I was funny. They laughed at my drawings. Called me a loser. One girl threw a pickle at my face. Ha! <laughs> Wannabe! I fought battles on two fronts by myself. One at school, and the other at home. You're born poor. You'll live the rest of your life poor. That's just life. It's pointless to even try. The rich grow richer, and the poor get poorer. And whenever I would show them my report card or a medal I'd gotten, they'd just brush it off like it meant nothing. Once, when I made the mistake of showing them my drawings, my dad tore them in front of me and threw them into the fireplace. I don't have time to look at your silly scribbling. Can't you see I'm busy figuring out how to pay our bills? Don't bother your dad. Here I am, breaking my back for this family. And you spend good money on paper and paintbrushes. You're wasting all my hard work. You're wasting your time on pointless things. But I had big dreams. And I tried to make them realize that I was serious about making comics. So, I did what Opal told me to do. I published them on a free site where people read webtoons. On my first day, I got one view. And... I began doubting myself again. But by the second day, I had a hundred comments on the first chapter I submitted. All of them clamoring for more chapters. I was shamed for my art in real life, and yet, online, I was a star. I gotta admit, living that secret life was... exciting. I ran to the nearest cafe, ordered one coffee so I could get free Wi-Fi, and uploaded as many chapters as that free Wi-Fi would allow. By the end of the month, I had people sending me donations and supporting me because they loved my series so much. A lot of them were kids like me who were struggling at school and had nobody to talk to. At first, I only got something like a hundred bucks a week. But then, my account grew. After a couple of months, I had over a hundred thousand subscribers. The money was pouring in. There were donations, tips, subscriptions to my Patreon. I was finally able to make a living out of the thing I loved the most. And the best part? The hype got so big that Getflix wanted to make it into a show. But... It felt hollow. Opal was the reason I kept drawing, and she wasn't with me. Uh, uh, 
Uh, hello? We wanted to get your answer about Getflix acquiring the license for your comic strips. We'd love to start shooting the series as soon as possible. I was gobsmacked. I was half expecting that email to be a scam. Are you still there? Okay, you're a tough negotiator. I said 300 grand in the email, but we can go as high as half a million. For the first season. Sound good? They paid me up front. I couldn't help myself. I called Opal. She congratulated me, and then she broke down sobbing. It wasn't me. I swear. I'm so sorry. The Manderly kids took my phone, and when they saw your drawings, they... They told me they'd have your dad fired if I tried to stop them. I ran to Opal's house, and as soon as I saw her, I embraced her, and I peppered her with kisses. There's nothing to forgive. They'll get what's coming to them. I wanted to surprise my parents with a huge gift. I was going to buy them a house. And I was going to do it on my 18th birthday. But the night before... My I was out with Opal the whole day, and when I got home, my mom and dad were waiting for me in the living room. Dad took out my tablet and laptop. Where'd you get these, huh? You stealing from us? There's nothing to steal. Don't you get smart with me. Been telling you for a year now. Go to your Uncle Howard and work at his shop so you can help us with the bills. And all this time, you've been wasting my your name's time. Pete. My name's Pete. Doodling? Your dad and I are very disappointed. It's what I love to do. It's my passion and it's going to be my career. What? Selling scribbles? Wake up, son. You're poor. Your parents are broke. And you will be broke just like us. So stop struggling. Instead of wasting your time, if you just go and work for your uncle, he won't pay you much, but you need a bit of reality check, Peter. You can do nothing on your own. So you might as well help us. I grabbed my stuff from my dad and stomped up the stairs. You better be ready to sell those gadgets if we come up short of the bill this month. I couldn't take it anymore. I packed my bags and snuck out when they thought I was asleep. I took a cab to the fanciest hotel in the city and I splurged for the very first time in my life. I got myself the presidential suite. I tipped every waitress at the Japanese restaurant a thousand bucks and by the end of dinner they were feeding me by my hand. I had trays upon trays of dessert sent up to my mom. And I lay on the most comfortable bed I'd ever laid on, surrounded by 30 different dishes that cost over $10,000. I woke up early and went straight to a real estate agency. And I saw that a mansion in the same street as our house was up for sale. And I had a wicked smile when I realized that it was the neighbor who was the first to dump water into our lot. I couldn't help but be tempted by a double revenge. As soon as I got home, Mom and Dad began asking me where I'd been. I ignored them. Instead, I started putting my stuff into boxes, and then I moved them to the curb. After a while, the moving company I had hired turned up, and they started moving the boxes and carrying them next door. What are you doing? You said I can do nothing by myself? So, that's what I'm doing. A very, very sweet nothing. I flashed my bank account at him and his jaw fell to the ground. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market